We're continuing the series today, Plan B. What do you do when Plan A does not work out? I'm going to be talking to you about the subject today, Plan B, Broken Relationships. In light of what's happened in our community and in our state over this past week, we're just going to deal a lot today with brokenness in general. I'm just glad to be able to stand at a podium today and tell you that in spite of everything that's going on around us, there is still a God who loves us and is going to see us through People's Church. And I believe that with all of my heart, He is still our very present help in the time of trouble. In the fall of 1998, I just got in from speaking at a ministry event in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was still in the process of unpacking and There was a knock on my door, and when I went to the door, a police officer served me divorce papers. Immediately at that moment, a relationship began the process of being broken. Immediately, as far as relationships go, I I had to start the process of going from plan A to plan B in my relationship. I fast forward to March 23, 1999, and I'm at my house, and after several months of going through the process, my phone rang, and it was my attorney telling me that my divorce was final, and I could come by his office at any time and pick up the papers. The emotion, the broken relationship, everything that goes with that, some of you under the sound of my voice today know that you've walked through that process as well. What I want to tell you is two weeks after my divorce was final in 1999, I was speaking in Des Moines, Iowa, and I had come in from church at night, and I had got to my motel room, and I had just hit the television on and sat down at the desk, and I had my laptop. I'm just kind of checking my emails, you know, just kind of going through, and the television's like right here where I can't see it, but I can hear it. You know, sometimes we just turn it on for the noise, and that's kind of what it was, and so I'm just typing. I'm kind of checking, responding to emails, but all of a sudden, I hear CNN report, more Oklahoma has been hit by a tornado. It immediately caught my attention. That's, that's my hometown. I graduated high school from Moore, Oklahoma a couple years ago. <laughs> what? You know how I can't get that by you guys. Huh? Okay. That's where I graduated high school and I immediately pushed back from the desk because I couldn't see the TV and I got around in front and I began to watch the devastation. How in May of 1999, the tornado came through Moore, Oklahoma. I owned a house there. My parents were living in it. And all of a sudden, an alarm began to go off in my spirit. I thought, you know what? i got to check on my family. i got got to find out if my friends are okay. And so I pick up the phone and call. And it's just like this. The cell towers are down. And you you can't get through on landlines. Everything's shut down. And and I keep trying about every three minutes. I'm trying to get through. I don't know if my family's okay. And I'm all the way up in Iowa. and, And I'm just glued to the television, literally all night glued to the television. I could hardly sleep. I I didn't know what happened the entire night. Finally at 7.30 the next morning my brother was able to get through. He informed me that all of my family was safe but the house had indeed been hit and was no longer livable. Damaged. Gone. 
My mom happened to be in the house. She had gotten a closet on one end of the house, only one home. If she had been on the other end of the house, she would not be here today. Two weeks after my broken relationship, and emotionally I'm still in a spin, now I've lost a house in a tornado. Can can you fast forward with me again, please, People's Church, to this past Monday? Now, last weekend, I was in ministry out of the country. I did a men's conference in Vienna, Austria, Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday, I stayed over and spoke at an international church there. After the Sunday morning experiences, caught a plane to London, spent the night there. And Monday, I flew from London back to America. Now, if you've ever done international trips like that, that's like a ten and a half hour flight, you know, and and it, it's just everything that's involved there. You got the jet lag, and you're so tired. So we land in Dallas, you know, uh, to get anywhere. You got to go through Dallas. I think you got to go through Dallas to get to heaven, you know. From uh, so I'm thinking, you got to go through Dallas. You know what I'm saying? So we go, we go through Dallas and we land there we're getting off the plane and if you've ever done international you know it's just like a long process like got to go through customs and and they got to check your passport we get off the plane I'm in 10 and a half hours on the plane and you know you're just zombie and everybody's kind of standing in line there's about a hundred people there just kind of stand in line and everybody's got the deer in the headlights look you know it's like we're all out of it you know we're tired now I got my phone on I'm not supposed to have don't tell anybody and kind of texting my wife and telling her I made it back in the country and, and all that. And we're just kind of standing there. Just hurry up. Come on. Let's get this going. You know, we're tired. All of a sudden, my phone rings. And it's, it's my brother. My brother doesn't call me. Knows I'm out of the country. Not supposed to answer, but I did. I said, hello. My brother on the other end of the line, he's out of breath and crying. He said, Lynn, mom and dad's neighborhood has been hit. I've tried three different routes to get in, and the police won't let me in. I don't know if they're okay. You just got to keep your phone on. I'm trying. There I'm in Dallas, and I'm helpless. I can't do anything. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've been on this long flight, and I'm just standing there. I hang up with my brother, and I pick up the phone. I called my wife immediately, and I said, Diana, you got to got to pray. Mom and dad's neighborhood's been hit and we, we don't know if they're okay. And she began to pray, make phone calls and people around me heard it. They, they all began to console me, talk to me. They graciously let me go ahead of them in line. I, I get through passport and for an hour and 15 minutes, I did not know the fate of my mom and dad as a result of what happened on Monday. For an hour and 15 minutes, my brother was finally able to get through and let me know my parents were okay. We we're extremely concerned about my mom because she's battling cancer right now and she can't move around very good. And she said they're okay. The house is a little bit damaged, but, but they're okay. And the feeling and the emotion. And some of you, under the sound of my voice, you've been through worse than me. It's difficult. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm just letting you know that everybody in this place knows what brokenness is in some form or fashion. Many of you have experienced the broken relationship. Some of you have experienced great devastation over the past week. 
And your story is not my story and my brokenness is not your brokenness. But the great thing, People's Church, for us today is we all have one thing in common. That's we're sitting in a place this morning surrounded by the love of God. And there is a God that still loves us and still cares about us regardless of what's going on around us. I began to get on Facebook to try to see how all my friends were. And I saw this quote. I love it. Some lady, I don't even know her, but a lady wrote on Facebook, we do not have anything left, but we have our lives and a God who still loves us. That's a lot, isn't it, friend? We have our lives and a God who still loves us. You know what I've learned, friend? I've learned that our success in life highly depends on how we handle plan B. Because you know what? Sometimes plan A just, it just goes away. And in a lot of different areas, a lot of different relationships, a lot of different other circumstances, we, most of us in this place, if not all, we left plan A a long time ago. And we've been working plan B for a long, long time. In, in my life, we're talking about broken relationships today. When that, my relationship broke, it's like emotionally I went into a tailspin. It's like unbelievable, you know, and all that. The emotion that, that goes with that and the pain and the hurting from that brokenness. And I start stepping back and I reflect and I think, you know what? I prayed about it. It still ended in a broken relationship. I, and I'd sit back and think, you know what? I didn't rush into it. I always heard all the advice. You know, I was 35 years old before I married the first time. And I always remember the line everybody told me, you know, Lynn, take your time, pray, be careful, you know, because it's better to be single and wish you were married than married and wish you were... <laughs> See, praise the Lord. There's <laughs> too much looking around going on here. Now, Midwest City, quit looking around. Yeah, no. It, and so I tried to wait and you know I was 35 years old in fact let me tell you this people's church you know I was 35 years old I was single so long I started to believe Victoria don't have a secret that's the way I was <laughs> that's the way I was feeling about there's no secret anyway you know, you know I waited I, it wasn't like I just rushed right into it but yet the end was still brokenness for me Relationships are tough. Raise your hand if you ever notice men and women are different. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everybody that left your hand down, that's the people going to be saved here today. We just, yeah, we, we, we not relate. You know why? Because in the area of relationships and all other areas of our lives, John 10, 10 rings true. The devil's out to steal, kill, and destroy us. He's after us, see? I've used this illustration at People's Church before, but I want to use it again. You see, there's a lot of pain when something that's intended to be one becomes two. This is a yardstick I'm holding in my hand, and the purpose is for this to be one. When it's one, it serves its purpose. But when you take the yardstick and you break it in two, it can no longer effectively serve its purpose anymore it's been broken into two and when that happens the jagged pointed edges are always a result the pain is always there to follow it's when something that's intended to be one becomes two there's always some jagged pointed 
edges. Please catch this line. Broken relationships produce broken hearts. Broken hearts produce broken people. I want to say that again. Broken relationships produce broken hearts. Broken hearts produce broken people. Friend, God did not ever promise that he would heal our broken relationships. But he is the healer of a broken heart. He he never said he'd heal our broken relationship. That's never in the word of God. But according to Psalm 147 verse 3, it says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He is the healer of the broken heart. And he's still God even after the jagged edges have appeared. He's a father. He feels our pain. You know, as a little kid, my brother and I is four years younger than me. We used to play games, and I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, and your kids do this now, my kid. You know, that, that, what, what we do is what we see on TV, we become, and we go out, and we mimic it, and we act it out. And So it didn't matter whatever my brother and I had been watching on television. That's what we'd go out as the cowboys and Indians and war. We'd just go out. Well, one day, we'd play in war. You know, we'd just seen this thing on TV as war. So we go out, and we get these little rocks, you know, and we pretend like we're pulling the grenades, you know, and we launch them at each other, and, and, and the rocks land beside us and me and my brother would just go flying or you know oh man it got me you know and that's the way we we played sometime one day we, we'd just seen that and and, and we go out and I, I got a rock and I pretended I pulled the grenade you know and I launched it I threw it real high toward my brother you know he's out in the yard just a little while and I threw that thing so high this time it didn't come down for a long time And finally, I'm watching it. You know, finally, my brother's wondering, you know, when's this thing going to hit? So my brother looks up. About the time he looks up, that rock hit him right in the face. And I could see from a distance. My brother started crying. Blood started coming out of his face. And immediately, people's church, I started feeling pain in this area of my body right here. (laughs) Come on, my parents. You have parents like me? Yeah. My brother was, I mean, my dad was a very patriotic man. He believed in the stars and the stripes. (laughs) He'd apply the stripes, I'd see the stars. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And I'm telling you, I knew I hit my brother. I made him bleed and my backside is going to get lit up. I knew that was going to happen. So I started thinking, I cannot in this situation tell the truth. Don't look at me, holy. I got to make something up. My brother's bleeding out in the yard. I run into my mom. Mom, I got to tell you something. Dennis is playing with rocks again. He threw one up in the air. It came, he looked up, it came down, hit him in the face, and he's bleeding. It's a lie, Father, forgive me. I, I did. It wasn't the truth. But you know how parents are when your kids are hurting, you know how they, it don't matter how it happened. You just want to help them. My mom and dad ran out to the yard. Remember this like it was yesterday. I'm in second grade, but I can see it. They get my brother in the car. They got a towel wrapped around his face trying to stop the bleeding. I'm sitting in the back seat mesmerized, knowing that my days are numbered. (laughs) My mom's saying to my dad, hurry, hurry, hurry. I remember us pulling up to the emergency room at the hospital and jumping out real quick. It wasn't thin like it is now. We ran inside. They put my brother on a gurney and they wheeled him in to this room, but they left the doors open. They don't do that anymore. They left the doors open and I'm standing there 
watching doctors and nurses try to help my brother. My mom's on one end trying to hold his legs down. He's in so much pain. I'm standing there just mesmerized. Finally, my mom turns around and looks at me and says, Where is your father? I don't know. I have no idea. She said, Go find your dad. Well, I looked around and went back to the car. Dad wasn't there. Doors are open. And I looked down the sidewalk. And I saw my dad leaned up against the hospital wall like this, crying like a little baby. I remember as a second grader walking over to my dad saying, Dad, Mom wants to see you. And my dad, with tears running down his face, I'll never forget it, said to me, Son, I can't go in there. I can't watch my boy hurt. I can't watch that. Please tell Mom. I, I, I just can't. I can't listen to him cry and scream. I just can't. Why? Because a father's heart breaks whenever their kids are suffering. And I know there's people here at People's Church today and your lives have been scattered and shattered and you're hurting. And it may be relational. It may be as a result of the tornadoes. It may be something else that I haven't even talked about. But I want you to know today your father's heart breaks for you too. And he is still your hope and your answer. And I'm asking him while I'm teaching and preaching the word of God to you today. That you'll feel the loving arms of Jesus around you. Because you know what? We're going to give an offering today. I'm going to participate in that. We can help with money. We can send teams to clean up debris. We can do that. We're going to be here for you. We are not. People's church is with you. You know that by the information that's been communicated today. But we, after all that still can't heal a broken heart we can't do that but we know somebody that can and his name is Jesus Christ and that's what we have to give you today will you quickly go with me to Luke chapter 10 verse 30 through 37 I, I want to read a story to you it's a bit lengthy, please bear with me. In the NIV, the Bible says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Now listen, church, what they did to him. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Everybody say, I like that guy. Come on, I like that guy, don't you? He took pity on him, went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on the oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. There's some background to this story. Will you give me just 60 seconds to give it to you? Because it's going to really add some value to the verses that we just read. 
Jesus is telling a story. And the Bible said when he's telling the story, he talks about going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, let me tell you about this road, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very narrow, winding road. It's a very popular place for robbers to be because they could hide behind the rocks and people would be right up on them. They'd jump out and rob them. That's why it was very popular. A lot of people robbed on this road because it's very narrow. Here's what I want you to know about this road. It was a 3,300-foot descent for 17 miles. I want you to get that. 3,300-foot descent for 17 miles. Jerusalem, Jesus said he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem means place of glory. Jericho means broken place. So Jesus is telling a story about a man who's going from a place of glory to a broken place. And on his way to a broken place, he became a broken man. We all know what that is. Three groups of people I want to look at in this story today. Number one, let's look at the people who inflicted pain. The people who inflicted pain. Verse 30 says it was robbers. Everybody say robbers. It was robbers that inflicted the pain. And here's what the Bible said they did. They stripped him. Publicly stripped him, which means that brings humiliation. They beat him, which inflicted pain. They went away, which means they deserted him and left him alone and left him half dead. Your broken relationship may have produced a broken person in you today. You might be here and feel humiliated, alone. You might feel like a zombie. You might feel like... You're half dead in this place today because the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's just beat you down, and you're in a place, and you're so broken. But I want you to understand the devil is a liar. This is a true story, ladies and gentlemen, that an actual study has been done. They take a car, a vehicle, and they set it in a neighborhood. And they can set that car in a neighborhood, and for months, nobody will bother it. They've, they've done this. They just, just set it there. People just think, oh, you know, it's just a car just sitting there. But if they take that same car in that same neighborhood and they break the smallest window in that car, they don't even have to break it all the way out. They just crack the window. Then suddenly robbers and thieves think that's an abandoned car because the window's cracked. So in a matter of days, they'll take all the tires, they'll get inside the vehicle and strip it clean. And their signal was there's a broken window out there. And people, church, I want you to understand this is exactly the way the devil does it. He takes a broken area of our lives, and we all have broken areas of our lives. And we, he believes that that broken area in our lives gives him permission to come in and rip us and strip us clean and humiliate us and inflict pain on us. But I want to tell you one broken part of our life today does not give the devil permission to have the rest of our lives. As I want to tell you, Jesus still heals broken windows. He still heals broken windows. And today, he, he, we're going to heal the broken window so that the enemy will not have access. God still repairs the window. You're in the right place today. The second group of people I, I want to look at is the people who walked around. Verse 31 and 32 said that a priest and a Levite saw him. Church, it wasn't like they didn't see him. They saw him. And walked around. They looked at a man that was beaten and bleeding. 
and didn't care enough to even stop. Can I tell you this in my brokenness sometimes? Reaction of others to my pain has caused me more pain. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? When I'm hurting and in the ditch and I'm beaten and bleeding and other people didn't react like I thought they were going to react and they didn't stop and help when I thought they were going to stop and help, that brought more pain to me. As a result of my broken relationship, some very severe points in pain have been brought to my life. If we can put the picture of my daughter up, I want to introduce you to my daughter, Carissa. She'll be 16 years old next month. She was one when we got a divorce. She will not call me dad. She will not spend the court-appointed time with me. She won't take my phone calls. She wants nothing to do with me. I did nothing illegal or immoral. But the points and the pain of a broken relationship reign true. And every day when I try to call and my call is not taken, it's like, oh, into me again. You see, other people's reactions to my brokenness continue to bring me pain. But then thirdly, I'm not going to leave you there. The last group is the person who stopped. Verse 33 said there was a Samaritan and he saw him. I love this part of the message people shared. He saw him and took pity on him. And not only that, the Bible said he went to him. Now, this is different than just seeing somebody and saying, oh, you know, a, a poor person. No, the Bible said he went to him. And, and then it said, not only did he go to him, but now he's going to get down and start healing and binding up his wounds. Now, this changes everything, people's church, because now we're going to get down with the hurt hurting and broken and bleeding. We about to get blood on our hands. We start bandaging up those that are broken. But that's what God's called us to do. We get down and the Bible even said he poured in the oil and wine. Now I want to tell you, I had to go study this to figure that out. Why? Why would he pour in the oil and wine? I don't get that. You see, medicine was not then as it is now. And I learned that the reason they would do that with open wounds is they would pour the oil in to soften it. Pour the wine in as an anesthetic to keep the infection out. And can, can I tell you that for me, for Lynn Wheeler, maybe you can relate to this. When I was laying in that ditch, beaten and bleeding, I needed somebody to pour some oil in and soften me up a little bit. It was so easy to get hard. I needed somebody to pour some wine in and get the infection out of me. Because as a result of what has broken me, I refuse to allow bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness to get into my life. The devil will not have access to me that way. We're going to pour in the oil and wine today. No, I refuse to let my outward circumstances affect my inner spirit today. It's not going to happen. I'm going to let Jesus stop and pour in the oil and wine. He put him on his own donkey, took him to the Marriott. No, that's not in the Bible. I just said it. Took him to the motel, 
checked him in and even paid for it. Can I say to you people, sir, a lot of people contributed to my ongoing healing, but only one person stopped and poured in the oil and wine and healed me. And he did it for me and he will do it for you today, for your hurting today. There is hope. Jesus is stopping by and pouring in the oil and wine. Real quick, I want to tell you about a story about Jesus stopping for a woman. It may be familiar to some, but in John chapter 4, the Bible said that Jesus was on his way from Judea to Galilee, and he stopped in Samaria, John chapter 4, verse 4. He's in conversation with a woman, and when we get to verse 17, here's what the woman said to Jesus at the well. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So there's an encounter with Jesus and a woman who'd had five broken relationships. Geographically, to get from Judea to Galilee, Jesus had to go through Samaria. But he didn't have to stop at the well. He stopped at the well to meet a broken person and heal that broken person. And I believe in the same way Jesus is stopping by People's Church for you today to heal the broken hearted. You think you're headed for the salvage yard and the pain that you feel today is going to be forever in your life? God disagrees. Lynn, how do you know God disagrees? I've had this pain so long, it's going to always be a part of my life. No, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 17 says, But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Can I say it one more time into somebody's life today? The Lord says he's going to restore you to health and heal your wounds. This pain is not forever. God's going to put you back together, pouring in the oil and wine, and you're going to rise, and God's going to use you in plan B like never before in your life. Can I tell you? That plan B might change us, but it doesn't change God. Thank God for that. I, I, I want to just tell you what God's done for me in plan B. See, I told you my divorce was final in March of 1999. But can I just tell you, this humbles me beyond words. I decided I would not quit. I will keep going. I prayed, God, give me the spirit of the energizer bunny. Amen. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit when everybody thinks I should. And I want you to hear for me, plan B, since my divorce, I'm very humbled to tell you that in my ministry, 3,870 people have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior since my broken relationship. Because God still uses me. And God still uses you on plan B. I got something else to share with you the way God's really doing something great in my life on plan B. If we'll put the picture of my wife up on the screen. This past March, that's my wife, Diana. We celebrated seven years of marriage, ladies and gentlemen. Seven years. She'd been through her own stuff. Nineteen years of marriage, a broken relationship. 
But today, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry. <laughs> After seven years, I still look at that picture and think, Pitter Patter, let me at her. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Oh, you'll use it tomorrow. Don't heck. <laughs> yeah. Come on, everybody shout, God's good. Isn't he good? He's faithful in plan B. He doesn't leave us when we fail, when we mess up, when we make wrong choices. I'll close with this verse today. Proverbs 10, 25 is a verse God gave me in the midst of my storm. And it says this, when the storm is passed by, the wicked are gone. But the righteous stand firm forever. Hallelujah. We're going to make it. We're going to stand firm, church. We will survive.